2: to take you somewhere else i'm bringing them back (laughs) it's time to open the vault i've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire they want to know do you see me do you hear me does what i say mean anything to you you are listening to the oprah winfrey show the podcast Have you seen a couple tell their story on this show and wonder what happened when they went home? Did they stay together? Did they break up? What did their family and their friends think? Today we're going down memory lane to find out. Remember Rochelle and John? She might have been America's most controlling wife with a long list of rules for her husband. Here's just a little taste. So I'm just going to go through some of your lists here. Don't sweat when you sleep. (laughs) Brush your teeth before bed and when you wake up and or before sex your jeans in thirds and my jeans in half and in half again with the label on the outside. No creases. Make them nice. So Rochelle and John are back and we'll find out what in the world happened to them. I can't believe they're still together. (laughs) Quite frankly, I am just surprised at that. But uh, first, when we talked to this TV star and her doting husband, no question about it, they had a lot of chemistry. The year was 1996, and Fran Dresha was riding high with her hit show, The Nanny. (laughs) She was smart, sexy, and sassy with that one-of-a-kind voice. In real life, Fran was happily married to her high school sweetheart, Peter. They'd been together since they were 15. When they appeared on our show, we all marveled at how they still seem so in love after 20 years together. Peter, you guys look so good together. Your energy is so good. Thank you. Not only did Fran and Peter seem to be the perfect couple, they were business partners, too, creating and producing The Nanny together. What's
5: been the greatest part of this whole success for you? I think that we get to work together, knowing that... We can do it together. We can enjoy it together. We can be an Oprah together. It it makes it all seem to work. But just a year after that interview, their seemingly
2: perfect relationship would be over, leaving everybody wondering why. (laughs) Yeah! Why, why, why? Fran and Peter have never spoken publicly about why, but last year, after a tabloid confronted them, they confirmed that Peter is
1: gay. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC.
0: At Delta, we know Mike and 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing.
2: Please welcome back Fran Drescher and Peter Jacobson. <laughs> thank
3: you. Thank you. And thank you. Welcome. welcome,
0: welcome.
2: <laughs> so, okay, so the chemistry that I referred to back there in 1996, was that real or was that? Something else. Uh, No,
3: I think we've always been kind of soulmates, best friends. We were best friends in high school, and we're still best friends. So, but the marriage did go south and take a sour turn in in its final years. And I actually think that it was less about Peter's sexual orientation and more about the fact that I felt um, kind of. um, I had a very classic midlife crisis. I felt like I hit a, you know, a brick wall. I didn't oh, know hold who hold I hold was. Hold on,
2: hold on, you said oh, oh, less about Peter's sexual orientation. I think if you're married to a gay man, that would affect your marriage. Well, yeah.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> but, but we weren't having.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> but, but what? I wasn't acting out on it then. You we weren't... were living a heterosexual life. I wasn't having affairs on the side or anything like that. I was living, we were, I thought I was straight. I thought that I was straight. I saw three psychologists at the, through our marriage mm-hmm. that said to me, you're straight. You're not gay. You may have thoughts about it. You're not acting on it. Other men have these thoughts. Had you ever acted on it before you were married? When I was a teenager, we, you know, mm-hmm. just with friends, kind of a very lightly kind of thing. And then I met her. Huh? And then we became a couple. And then I just pushed it
2: away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So had you ever shared with her that you had thoughts? Yes. Yes. Yes.
3: Later on, Uh we had been victims of a violent crime. And as a result of that, uh, he went into therapy. uh, And uh, what violent crime? Tell us about that. uh, I was raped at gunpoint in our home. And he was tied up. And uh, my girlfriend was also with us. And she was also raped at gunpoint. And so after that, it was a very difficult time for us, mm-hmm. and we were very frightened. And He's we a lot of f- trauma. Yes, mm-hmm. and he went into therapy, and at that point was when he started to get in touch with the fact that he had, uh, you know, feelings that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he wanted to talk about.
2: But you went into therapy because of this traumatic event, right? Yeah.
5: And I figured whatever thoughts that I had about my sexuality, it was like a car. I would take a towel and I would shove it in, but it it would leak out. And I'd get angry because I'd start thinking about it and I didn't know what to do with it. So, again, I kept trying to push it back. And I'd see another another psychologist and they would say, well, you're not gay. So, you know, so again, it put me, I was okay for a little while.
3: Did you have a healthy sex relationship? Yes, we did,
5: we had actually.
3: We, well, we always used to think that we must be having better <laughs> yes. sex than, you know, our friends. Uh, you know, because... Uh, I don't know. He was a very sexual man. And uh, I, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, Oprah, years later, after we were divorced and, you know, I had been with, because I had been with him since I was 15, so I really didn't have a lot of experience. Uh-huh. Uh, I had said to him, you know, now that I've been with a lot of other men, I got to tell you, you're very well proportioned. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I say because once he got in touch with his confusion, he did sit me down and he said, "I think I'm bisexual, but I'm making the choice. I want. To, I love you. I love our life together, and I want to spend my life with you." And I, who was at that point Miss Superwoman and not in touch with how it was really affecting me, felt like, "My God, he's being so honest with me. He must really love me, yeah. and, and I, did. I and gotta I did. make mm-hmm. it work." Mm-hmm. Also, my parents are so madly in love. It was like uh, with him. You know, well, with each other, okay, and so that's a very tough act to follow. And I didn't want to fail at this marriage, and he was being honest with me and forthright and professing his love. But to me. I thought it was something really interesting you said when you said, "I
2: did love you, and I do."
5: I loved her. I, I, I but okay. I was so angry and still not dealing with the real reason that we didn't speak for a year. The day after the nanny ended, we. I left.
3: I to New York, he couldn't get far enough away from me. He begged me not to leave him. Right. And it was when I I, I you know I, I'm a uterine cancer survivor. And a year after the nanny ended was when I was diagnosed with uterine cancer. And our manager, we both have the same manager, called him in New York and said, Fran has cancer and he burst into tears. And in that moment, all of the anger melted away, and all that was left was the love. Mm. And in many ways, we had a wonderful marriage and a wonderful friendship.
5: And we're doing a, a show, a pilot, about our relationship Called Happily
3: now. Divorced, inspired by our story. Is it, is it about a divorced woman and a, and a gay, gay ex ma- they, And, and gay a gay ex-husband. And the new boyfriend. And the new boyfriend, which is all <laughs> You know, That's true. a good idea. <laughs>
2: That's a good idea. Are you starring in it? Yeah. <laughs> That's an even better idea. <laughs> but I thought it was so interesting. You, you touched on this briefly when you said, I love her and I still do. You know, I've done shows, many shows, with a, you know, a husband who came out and then his wa- you know, a wife who came out said, I'm a lesbian. Then a husband said, well, I'm gay, too. So, you know, more power to you. I've done, I've seen all, I've done all those shows. And I've done, you know, men who were down low, who were hiding it, and so forth. And it's always interesting when women find out, because they wonder whether or not the relationship that we had, was that a lie? That's why I thought it was so interesting, Peter, that you said, I loved her.
3: Yes. And I I still still do." do.
2: So the love, your love for her, was and is real. Absolutely. And your sexuality had, has nothing to do with your... your... Our, ma-
3: our manager, who's a wise old owl, Al- Elaine, oh. uh, she said, you know, you have to make this right. You can't be together since you were children and now feel like you got to cross the street when you see this person walking towards That's you. interesting. You have I, to figure I, I, out. I'm
5: blessed that she's in my life. I mean, there are so few people, straight, gay, whatever, that have this, yeah. a friendship and a love for each other that we reinvented so the
3: relationship, and I'm very happy to say that, because now we're in each other's lives in a very deep and profound way. And I'll talk to him about my, you know, issues with <clears> dating. <throat> He'll talk to me about we his... We fix each other up. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm it's, bad at it's it. It's a new... <laughs> now, you know, it's 11 years later since yes. the nanny ended, uh-huh. uh, and 10 years since my <sighs> cancer survival. So we're very co-supportive of each other's things. And I know that your work with your charity work, Cancer Schmanter,
2: your working, being able to do something other than, you know, for yourself and for your TV shows and stuff, is very important to you.
3: Yes, you know, it's turning lemons into lemonade and pain into purpose for anyone that's going through anything. I love that,
2: pain into purpose. It yes. really
3: heals. It yeah. helps heal. And for me, it's become a life mission because no woman should ever die due to late-stage diagnosis. And most of the people that we love and lose to cancer, we do so because of late-stage diagnosis. And if everyone was diagnosed early, almost everyone would live. If you catch it on arrival, 95% survival. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Catch it on arrival. Thank you. Thank Thank
2: you, you, Peter. Thank you. Over the past 25 years, we've had more than 1,492 couples on the show, and I don't remember them all. I don't. That's why when people come up and say, remember me, I go, no, I don't. And to many of our ultimate viewers, none is more memorable than these two.
6: No, you've got to take everything off the table.
2: We've never met a couple like Rochelle and
6: John. I don't let John drink more than two cans of soda in a day. No, you've had your limit today. You drink water. Honey. I want a root beer. Don't start fighting with me.
2: Rochelle was a woman who gave new meaning to the word controlling.
6: Why are you chewing ice? I want the clothes to the right and the hangers to the left.
2: And John was the proverbial doormat.
6: The way he holds his fork makes it hard for me to digest my meal. It irritates the living crap out of me. I want you to stop holding your fork like that. Why are you 40 years old and you hold your fork like this?
5: I feel like a two-year-old going through
1: her little boot camp.
2: When we first met them in 2000, they'd only been married a year, but already their marriage was in deep trouble. Rochelle's list of do's and don'ts was pushing John to the brink.
6: The most important rule in the notebook is to brush your teeth before you go to bed, especially if he wants sex.
2: Each time Rochelle and John paid us a visit, something new would crop up.
6: I just don't want him to leave the table when I'm still eating. And that is not right, and he shouldn't. And that's that. (laughs) You don't leave the table when somebody's eating. That's rude.
5: So he has to be dismissed.
6: No, he can't leave until we're done eating. That's just the way it is. That's how I want in in my household. That's how our family is going to have a nice life.
2: Of course, we knew the issues were much deeper for this couple. You cannot have a little
6: attitude. You have to be nice right.
2: about it. And until they found a way to cope, their marriage would never improve. I know. I have to tell you all, I'm, I'm with you. I know you're watching at home, and you're thinking, God, is that even real? Don't you think that that feels like reality TV before reality TV? Uh, I know people want to know if this couple stayed together, so we asked them to come back for an update. How's it going? It's, it's, <laughs> it's going good. It's going good. It's going good. What happened?
6: You know, I was a newlywed then.
2: You were newlywed?
6: Absolutely. I, could,
2: I, I, I couldn't believe that. What year was that?
6: It was uh, 2000. 2000. OK. We got married in 99. And when I got married, I figured this is what was going to make it work. And this was how it needed to be. And that was how we were going to have a nice life. All of that is very true, very real. And what an eye opener to just see it today is making me cry again.
2: Really? Because you thought, when you're sitting there saying he can't leave the table,
6: uh, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, that would be like rude. You're wed. you were so in love, and then you get married, and now all of a sudden he's going to go watch TV and we're trying to eat dinner. That wasn't how it was going to work. Uh-huh. I was a newlywed. I had ideas. This is how it was going to, this is how every newlywed marriage was going to be. You were yeah. together. You were inseparable. So but... tell me what
2: you were really thinking at that time. I mean, because when, I, you know, back in 2000, I was thinking, gee, either you, you know, like being, quote, henpecked, you know, that's, that would be one term, or either you like that or you were gonna, you know, take the highway pretty soon. What were you really feeling at that time?
1: Well, it was, it was pretty overwhelming. And uh, if I wasn't, su- had such a faithful uh, attitude towards it, I probably would not have been there. You mean towards your... Toward towards the marriage. Balance?
2: So was she that way before you got married? I, oh, yes. And you still asked her to marry you? Well, it's, it's
1: charming to a point.
2: Uh, oh, is it? He,
1: uh,
3: <laughs> no, really. Okay, go ahead.
6: John, John's the youngest. He yes. has two older sisters and his mother, so he's used to being bossed around. He really did fit that mold yeah, really well. Yeah, I was thinking there's something in him that it, doesn't mind yeah. being with
2: somebody he, he, who is he, he's he, controlling.
6: Today, he'll still do exactly what he's told, not by anyone. I mean, mm-hmm. he'll just, he follows the rules. Mm-hmm. So he, it's his nature to do okay. that. So, but I learned that I don't need to be the one telling him what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And that it better get done right. So
2: I know, I've, I know you guys were on Phil's show, and Phil helped you here. Did, did Phil help you? Yes. Yeah. Did he give you a smackdown?
6: He gave me an eye opener. An eye
2: opener. What happened? He
6: told me to trust that John is not my uh, father. Mm-hmm. He said, to trust John is not your father. And I said, oh, God. Why didn't somebody else say that a long time ago? Because mm-hmm. that really was all that I needed to hear. And that one little sentence made all the difference.
2: Why? And so did you have a bad relationship with your father? Was my you... father
6: was very controlling. Uh-huh. He, he would tell my mother what to do and how to do it all day long while and he so was at work. so then you just came,
2: became your and father. And
6: I became my father in a hope and prayer that I wouldn't be my mother. I didn't want to be controlled. So I became controlling. And uh-huh. that was a huge, 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 huge thing, huge.
2: Mm-hmm. So when did when did the shift take place in the relationship, John? As you could see, that she cool. did she get better. So is she better?
1: She's better. Okay. She's better. Much uh, occasionally, better? I've got to get a dig in, and it costs me.
2: It costs you. Uh,
1: yeah. So
2: would you say you all are happily married?
1: Yes.
6: Yeah, we are. We are happily married. We have our days. I still fly off the handle. Uh huh. I'm normal and human.
2: Mm-hmm. Is the marriage what you envisioned, or are you letting the marriage be what it is supposed to be, or I am, what it is?
6: I am allowing the marriage to be what it is. Do
2: you still have rules?
6: You know, occasionally I'll want to make a new rule. Like, the other night he came in and, you know, from working in the garage for till, like, 11 o'clock at night, I had already been sleeping. Mm-hmm. So he comes in, he's loud, he's walking in his shoes, and he's turning the lights on. And...
2: Walking in his shoes, Well I know. <laughs> I was... Oh, got to stop
6: that. Put a stop <laughs> yeah. to that right now. Well, okay. you know, I was sleeping and he woke okay. me up. Okay. And, okay. and, you know, and so then I was up for two hours after he woke me up. So then the morning I was thinking, you know, I think we should probably make another new rule. And, you know, I, I'm normal. And
2: what would the rule be? It
6: would have been you have to take it, If you're going to work in the garage at night when I'm sleeping. Yes.
2: Take your shoes off. Yeah. When you put, come inside. Maybe put
6: your pajamas on before you go out there. <laughs> Make it work.
2: Yeah. Is okay. it true that he works for you now? Oh. Like, I don't know. Yes. What did you just, did I just hear, what? Okay. So explain that to us.
6: I am a broker and he is a, an agent and he does work for me. You now work for her?
1: I have to stay completely out of the office. We have two little offices. Uh-huh. And we did that has, on his purpose. his building,
6: I have my building. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: if I walk into her office, it, I can't get out. It's do this, get that. I, and I just, I have to leave. It, that's the only way it works. But it...
2: <laughs> did you all? It have, did you all have children?
6: No, we oh. have killer and cupcake. Oh. <laughs> Bichons.
2: Bichons. Oh, little children with fur. Yes. Little children with fur. OK. Thank you, Rochelle and John. Thank you for being a part of the open show. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. Good, Good to see you. It's been five years since we heard Michelle Kramer's riveting story of love and betrayal. She was 27 when she married Dr. Mark Weinberger and began living what she called their dream life. I love you,
7: baby. I love you, baby.
2: Mark, a prominent nasal and sinus doctor, had a lucrative private practice outside Chicago. Michelle said he was bringing in as much as $200,000 a
7: week. We had a private jet. We had an 80-foot yacht. We had a five-story townhouse, a brigade of drivers, 10-day trips a month to the Mediterranean or the Caribbean, ridiculous shopping sprees.
2: When Mark and Michelle married, they celebrated with three separate ceremonies, including a lavish affair in Italy.
7: I really thought that we were gonna grow old together and you know, be sipping lemonade on the porch with grandchildren. You really was my best friend.
2: To celebrate Michelle's 30th birthday, Mark planned an extravagant vacation, yachting in the Greek islands. Her friends and family were invited along.
7: We were supposed to stay on our, our yacht and have this huge blowout birthday celebration. Everybody was just really excited.
2: But when Michelle woke that first morning on the yacht, her husband had vanished. Dr. Mark Weinberger's disappearance made headlines around the world A year after he went missing, a devastated Michelle appeared on our show to share her story. This is what she said then.
7: Tell us what happened when you woke up on that yacht. I knew that something was terribly wrong. So I got up and I started jogging around the whole island looking for him. Um, And everybody kept telling me, oh, he just went to go get something for your birthday. And as the day progressed, it became really clear that he wasn't coming back. And he didn't come back? He didn't come back. And that's when the nightmare began.
2: In the months after her husband's disappearance, Michelle learned that more than 300 malpractice lawsuits had been filed against him, accusing the doctor of using scare tactics and phony diagnoses to perform hundreds of unnecessary surgeries and procedures. Authorities immediately seized the couple's condo, cars, and $4 million yacht. Then another bombshell. Michelle discovered her husband had left her $6 million in debt. Reeling from his betrayal, Michelle never doubted her husband was alive. And she was not alone in her suspicions. Authorities had already launched an international manhunt for Mark. After five years on the run, Dr. Mark Weinberger was finally captured by authorities just last year. He had been hiding out in a small tent on a mountainside in the Italian Alps. Michelle Kramer is here. So you were right. He was alive all along. How did you, did you always think he was alive?
7: I did. I knew he was alive, and I knew that he was in that region, that he was there. I could feel it, and that's where I knew that he was. Um, At
2: first, the morning that he went missing, did you at first suspect, you know, foul
7: play, that somebody had done something to him? that he'd been harmed. Did I, you think that? I didn't. And I think it was due to a combination of a gut instinct that I had, yeah. but also his strange behavior two months prior to leaving. He'd been planning it for two months. Mm-hmm. And I could kind of see that he was distant and he was drifting away. Mm-hmm.
2: And so you put all of that together. Mm-hmm. All those little whispers came together in a big bang. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So. When you found out that you were $6 million, that's just such an overwhelming thing. What do you even do with that?
7: It could have been 600000 6000 It was all the same to me. He left me with 1,000 euros in my passport. So I was just lost and okay. devastated and uh-huh. had no way to deal with that number. Uh-huh.
2: And so what happens when you have that much debt? Do you just file for bankruptcy and then start over? You
7: file bankruptcy like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And once they discharge the debt, it's discharged and mm-hmm. you start over. And you start over. Mm-hmm. So were you devastated,
2: obviously, in other ways? Because I did an interview recently and I was saying that of all the things that can happen to you, I think regardless whether you are known or unknown, the worst in the world is betrayal. So, and you can only be betrayed by somebody who knows you well enough to betray you. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that is the worst, don't you?
7: I do. Mm-hmm. It, it just it gets you at your heart. Those are the people that you're supposed to trust. Mm-hmm. He was my best friend. He was the person that I woke up next to every morning. Mm-hmm. And the betrayal really stung. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to get over.
2: Okay. So when they found him, who? how did you hear that they found him?
7: So I had moved on. You know, I... Um, Moved to Alabama to start my pre-doctoral internship. I was leaving work after a 12-hour day seeing patients. And my phone rang, and it was freezing cold out in December. Um, Sirens were going by, and it was America's Most Wanted. And I had done a show because I I wanted him to be found. And I saw them calling, and I thought, oh, they're probably just checking in on me. Didn't even expect to hear that he was found. Mm -hmm. Um, They told me to sit down, that they had some really big news And at that point, I felt like I was punched in the stomach. And then I just sat down and tears started pouring out of my eyes. And I couldn't figure out if they were tears of anger or joy. And I called my mother and let her know that it was over and that he was caught.
2: Mm -hmm. Can you imagine, after this lavish lifestyle that you all had, yachts and travel and weddings in Italy, he's living in a tent. What
7: did you think? When I saw that mugshot? I was horrified. That's not the man that I met. That's not the man that I married. And I had a lot of pity. I just felt really bad for him as a human being. Mm
2: -hmm. Where is he now?
7: He's in federal prison. He's awaiting his sentencing hearing. And the pity was kind of transposed once I realized that he has no sense of accountability or responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't apologize at all for what he did. He feels like he was victimized because people were jealous of his success. Have you had any contact with him? No contact. Do you want to? I don't feel like it would be worth it. Really? You no. don't want to do the why? You know, last time I was here, I really wanted the why. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, why did you do this to me? And I remember that you said, you know, you're not going to get closure from him. You have to find it yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. well, wasn't that smart of me? It was very smart of you.
2: <laughs> oh, that sounds so smart. <laughs> I said that? OK, good. That's good. That's what you should do, get closure yourself.
1: <laughs>
7: So have you gotten closure for yourself? I have. Over the past, you know, six years, I, I moved on, and I climbed out of it by myself with my family around me, and I realized that anything he says isn't going to matter either way. That's true.
2: Now, it's so interesting, because I always have seen this pattern in my life, and I think other people, if you pay attention to your life, because your wife, life is always whispering to you, mm-hmm. there are always signs, and I always say God speaks in whispers first, and the whisper, you know how you just raise your eyebrow just now? Mm-hmm. You see? The whisper is just like that. When you when it you, you you hear something or you feel something, and it feels just like, hmm. And it's just a tiny little thing where you go. The wings of a butterfly. Like the wings yes. of a butterfly. It <laughs> feels like, that's odd, or that's strange, or, hmm, unusual. And then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So by the time this happened to you, mm-hmm. you must have had like a brick wall coming mm-hmm. down. Yes. Exactly. The whisper had turned into a brick wall.
7: When you say whisper, it reminds me, we were swimming from the boat to a beach at one point with our dog and I was struggling and I felt like I couldn't make it the whole way. And he turned around and he looked at me and he just kept beelining for the the shore. And there was no sense of he's gonna come back and help me. And we were married at that point and I remember thinking, who are you?
2: Really? Mm-hmm. See, now that's more than a whisper. That's a, <laughs> That's a, That's not a whisper. If you like, if you can't make it to shore and the person keeps swimming, that's a. <laughs> hey! <laughs> over here! <laughs> Michelle has gotten her doctorate in neuropsychology since this all happened. That is uh, really. When I read that last night in, uh, in preparing to talk to you, I thought, well, that's very interesting, how something that felt so awful when it first happened helped you to evolve into more of, really, who you obviously were meant to be, because it's not an easy thing to do, get your doctorate. And that probably would not have happened had you still been with him and flying all over the world and,
7: you know, living that facade of a life, do you think? That's so true. I, I was in my doctorate program when I was with him, but there was constant rhetoric on his part. You know, it's getting in the way of our travels. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm so glad that I stayed in school and that I didn't quit for him, mm-hmm. because, you know, living your life for somebody else never pays off, mm-hmm. even if they stick around. And yeah. I feel like my light would have been dimmed yes. had I stayed with him.
2: And the truth of that is, I'm sure you see this now, that people who love you want what's best for you. Mm-hmm. They want you to be your best, right. people who love you. It's so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. I I can see you've learned a lot, and we learned a lot from you. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you. Back in 2005, we met Trevor and Trina. At the time, Trevor admitted his wife's 55-pound weight gain was ruining their marriage. Their story got a lot of you riled up, as you can imagine.
4: He hates my weight. He absolutely hates
0: it. She got pregnant uh, a month after we got married and, and then the weight started coming on. Well, yeah,
4: that's called pregnancy. Yeah,
0: well,
4: well. You know, that happens. Yeah, but <laughs> then,
0: then when you're
5: not pregnant, the, the weight stayed. stayed. For the lack of a better phrase, getting a pretty good bubble butt.
4: I could be puking my guts out in the bathroom. I could be anorexic. I could be whatever, and you'd never notice it because you'd just be so damn happy that I was then. And that is the truth.
2: Despite her husband saying he was no longer attracted to her and his having a roving eye, Trina felt she had no choice but to stay in the marriage. I think Trevor's the best I can ever get. (laughs) But you really can find somebody who loves you for who you are and thinks that you're fabulous the way you are. You really could. If that's what you wanted. So Trevor later admitted in a follow-up appearance that he had been cheating on Trina. That was six years ago. And we were curious to find out what happened since then. Come on up, Trina. Hi. Nice to see you. Welcome. Thank you. What happened? You look great.
4: Thank you. So you lost weight, obviously. I did. Yes. Uh, I promptly left your show and ate myself into 50 pounds heavier. Uh huh. Um, went through a pretty dark year after that show. And um, then I woke up one day. Uh, put on my Oprah hat that you gave me and read the back of it and it said, live your best life. And mm-hmm. I decided that enough. Enough was enough. Uh, Trevor and I were divorced. After how long? Oh, I left the stage and got a divorce six months later.
2: That's good. For you. For me. Because, I mean, did you, did you see him on the show? Cause when you watch it on the show, it's one thing to see. I often think this when people are sitting in this chair that you See you. You're saying these things, and then you get home and you look at that tape, and you can actually see what the rest of us see.
4: Yeah, and is I, that what happened to you? I, I felt sorry for myself, and yeah. I knew that the world felt sorry for me, mm-hmm. and I, and I didn't want to be that girl. I wanted right. to rewrite my own story, right. and I knew the only person that could do that was me. Right. I needed to get myself up off that couch, and for those two beautiful children that I have, right. I had to live my best life, and right. that meant getting up, doing something. Not punishing myself anymore.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you did that because one of the things that struck me when I was looking at the tape then and even now, how are your children? They're fantastic. And I was thinking about your daughter. I was thinking about the message that you're allowing yourself to be verbally mistreated. I don't know what was going on with you, you know, emotionally in the house. But I just know that when you, you, that is mirrored to your children? Absolutely. Then that is how you teach your children who they are.
4: That's right. And I mean, my job is to be the best mom that I can be. That's right. I'm supposed to mentor those children. That's right. And both those girls, I I needed to send a message to them that this is not a healthy relationship. That is good. This is not the kind of marriage that I want you to have. The only way I could do that was to expect higher of myself. Uh-huh. And so I needed to change from, from within. I needed to stop blaming Trevor for, you know, really. It was only once I was able to take ownership of my own things that were going bad in that relationship that I was able to move on and lose the weight and change yeah. things about me. You know, so. Trevor wasn't, the, wasn't a criminal. No. you know. And I mean, and I, I, I allowed myself to be that victim. That was on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not the girl that I am today, for sure. Uh-huh. Not at all.
2: Because you have grown into yourself? I
4: have. Uh-huh. I, I'm not the insecure girl that I was in So my what did 20. you
2: do? What did you do?
4: Well, I started playing roller derby. Well, that'll do <laughs> I had some pent-up aggression I needed to get out.
2: Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> and, and that was
2: phenomenal. And then you started, what, working on yourself?
4: Yeah, working on myself. I did some courses on, uh, you know, um, I, I never really had any problems with my self-esteem. I just think that I was a little, routed in the wrong direction at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was just able to not keep punishing myself and realize that I deserve to be happy and did a lot of work on myself.
2: I'm looking at this in your hair. What is that in your hair? Oh, these
4: are my hair flares. I, I like those. What are those? They're a little tie-in extension that just but, but, ties right into the base of your hair right there. The little glittery thing? Yes. That's an extension? Yes. I'm gonna get me some. OK, well, <laughs> guess what? What? Me and my business partner own the company. You're <laughs> so kidding! I, I can get you
2: some. Yay. <laughs> Those are so cool. Thank you. So when you all see me with the flare, you'll say, "You know where I got it from." Okay. <laughs> you still see Trevor because you have children, right?
4: Yeah, you know Trevor is a great dad. He is an amazing dad to those kids, and his love and his passion for his children is evident all of the time. Trevor and I, however, are like water and oil. Mm-hmm. You can kind of mix us up once in a while, but the bottom line is we're always going to separate. hmm That's good. And now you're with someone else. I am with the most amazing man in the entire world. I married my best friend two months ago. You did. I did.
2: Hi, best friend. And is it true what I said? You found somebody who loves you just the way you are?
4: Yeah, it's when somebody loves you for who you are, they make you want to be a better person.
2: That's good. I'm happy for you. Thank Julia. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> really. What do you call them? Hair lights? Hair flares. Hair flows. Hair all right, flares. all right. I'll get me some hair flares. OK. When David and Elizabeth Weinlich first oh, appeared I'm on our Elizabeth show in 1999, David. Their story left me speechless. (laughs) I don't know what to say. David said when he turned 28, he decided it was time to get married. So he set the date, bought the rings, and even picked a location. But there was just one problem. David did not have a bride. But that wasn't gonna stop him. He simply asked his best friends to conduct a search for the future Mrs. Weinlich. So his buddies drew up an application and put ads in local papers, asking all interested women to show up to the Mall of America on June 13, 1998. When the big day arrived, David's friends handpicked pharmacy student Elizabeth Runzi from Two Dozen Hopefuls to marry David on the spot.
3: David and Elizabeth.
2: It feels like the crazy thing. So it's been 12 years since they got married, 12 years. Who thinks they're still together? Thinks they're still together. Here's the update.
6: Hi, Oprah. David and Elizabeth Weinlich here at the mall.
5: Here we are, 12 and a half years later, standing where it all began. This is where we exchange vows, ask strangers. A lot of people didn't think it would last, but it did.
6: I was surprised when people would comment that they didn't think it would last. It wasn't as if Dave was marrying just anybody. Dave was conducting a very thorough search for a life partner. Here come our kids.
5: This is Emily, she's our oldest, she's nine. Charlie is eight, Zoe's our next, she's five, and Ted Henry will be two in March. The secret to our marriage is committing to being happy together, that's what it takes.
2: (laughs) I'm shocked. I am surprised that they're still together. So thank you, David and Elizabeth and all 1,492 couples who have appeared on our show over the past 25 years. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening.